If fly tying is something you're interested in, check this out. Broken Tippet Fly Company has partnered with some of the most talented independent fly tires in the business to bring you the BTFC Fly Tire Signature Series. What this is all about is featuring an up-and-coming fly tire. Um, BrokenTippet.com is where you can check it out. Current feature features um, Timothy Jensen. Tim Ties Flies goes through uh, basically what he likes to tie. These limited edition fly boxes are full of patterns that they're coming up with beautifully tied premium materials curated uh, for the best success on the still water and the river. Each tire has also answered a series of questions by yours truly um, and basically just try to um, get to know their stories on fly tying. Check it out. The Fly Tire Signature Series, brokentippet.com. You, you, you are listening. You are listening. You are listening to the Fly Fishing ninety seven podcast. So, if you ever flatten thread, which I should talk about that, because you can't flatten corded thread. Corded thread won't lay flat. It always lays in a in a rope. Think of rope. You can't flatten rope out. Right. Um, but you can flatten flat thread, and so um, every time you wrap one revolution around the hook. You are putting one uh, clockwise spin into the thread. So I work in an office where we still have corded phones. And if I, you'll notice corded phones, if anyone remembers those, they will furl or thread will, or your leader will furl on itself if there's revolutions, put it twists put into it. So if you want to flatten your thread, you have to spin your bobbin while it's attached to your fly that you're tying, find a spot where you know you're not gonna unravel something. And if you spin your bobbin clockwise, you can literally watch it go from corded to flat. It'll just get wider. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by the good folks at the Fly Crate. Fly Fishing Made Easy. This is how the quarterly fly club works for $69.99 every three months, which is roughly $23.33 per month, embark on a journey with the Fly Crate as we create and deliver a premium selection of flies straight to your door with free shipping included. Each box has a treasure trove containing 36 expertly tied and selected flies tailored to match the current and upcoming insect hatches in your area. Check it out, theflycrate.com. Well, the wait is over. Wait for it Films is proud to present Still 3. If you enjoy still water fly fishing, check this one out. Brent Gill has come up with a beauty. It's on YouTube today. That's Still 3 featuring Stanton Jack, Mike Green, Trevor Tatarchuk, Ryan Ermit, Dan Gus McDonald, Jenny Adrift, Craig McDonald, and Brent Gill. Look for it today on YouTube. That's Still 3, courtesy of Wait for it Films. Welcome to this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Really happy you are joining us. And we're going to head back to the Pacific Northwest, a beautiful part of the world, back to Oregon. We've got Garrett Lesko on the line from OregonFlyTying.com. And Garrett's doing some pretty cool things, doing a lot of shows this winter. He's got his custom fly patterns. Uh, Check him out, OregonFlyTying.com. We had him on last week, and... 
I asked Garrett one question, and I've been thinking about this since I asked it in a lot of ways. And that was, um, we're talking about the most important tool, which I often refer to as the tying vice. And he said, uh, hey, if that's the question, that's not really my answer. My answer is the thread. And then we thought, well, what if we do a deep dive into the thread scene? And I think um, there's a lot of ground we can cover. And I know there's a lot of things I need to learn about thread and how important it is. First off, Garrett, welcome back to the program. I appreciate you doing this. Yeah, I'm glad to be back. So let, let's start at the beginning, because there's so much ground to cover, and we'll kind of do this in, in the best framework we kind of can that makes sense, um, at least to you and me, um, hopefully more. Yeah. Um, let's start at the beginning. So thread selection, wh- where would you start this process? Because it's a big one. Well, yeah, I thread Thread is interesting because, as I as I said, it's a, I think it's the most important tool, and I think it's the most important tool because it is your primary main material manipulator. That is what you're using to manipulate materials on your hook the most. I mean, obviously, you can pull them and twist them and fold them and bend them and do things like that, but your thread really is your your main manipulator and your your glue, for a lack of a better words. It's your screws. It's your nails. It's it's that kind of stuff. It holds everything together. So. When it comes to thread, um, starting at the beginning, um, most contemporary fly tying deals, so that's what we're going to try to focus on is contemporary thread. So we're not going to go look at heritage stuff, old school stuff, or classic mm-hmm. flies like uh, full dress salmon or spay and D for steelhead, things like that. That's just not a realm I'm familiar with. And that's just a whole different kettle of fish altogether. And then we're going to focus mostly on synthetic threads just because that's the norm nowadays. No one's using silk no one's using cotton threads or using some kind of synthetic Mm -hmm. and so yeah so if you go into a fly shop um at least here and then i'll also focus on just north america i mean i will bring up some european stuff in here but it's uh i'm based on north america out of the states and that's just what i have access to so if you walk into a north american fly shop or you go onto one of the online fly shops based here in north america the thread choices are probably I would say you're not limited to and not exclusionary to any specific type of region or anything like that. It's going to be Danville, UTC, Uni, Vivas, Semperfly, Montana Fly Company, and TechStream. There are others out there, um, you know, doing research for the podcast just to make sure I don't forget anything or lose anything. There's others out there. Mm-hmm. Another brand that might come to mind is, is Gudebrod. Um, that tends to be a really old uh, thread that people will buy. Uh, I have friends that are in the salmon and steelhead fly world and that's the thread they use. So, but for most tires, 99% of us, uh, those are going to be your brands that you're going to want to hit. And I would say definitely the most predominant are going to be Danville, UTC, Uni, and Vivas. Those are hands down going to be your most common threads you're going to see. Yeah, I think that's fair comment based on, I always ask um, tires when I have them on, when I get the chance, what they use. And th- that's the normal answers right there for sure. And the, and the reasons why uh, is because they're distributed by the major companies. So Vivas uh, and Danville uh, are, are distributed by, and Uni are distributed by Hairline. Hmm. UTC, I believe is Nature Spirit. So, if your fly shop doesn't carry hairline products, I don't know. That's that's a weird fly shop. Um, <laughs> hairline's just probably the largest 
yeah. fly tying, one of the largest in the world and definitely probably the largest in North America, maybe besides Wapsi. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously Vineyard and Wapsi and, and Nature Spirit all have their, their own brands that they distribute. And it might be the same brands because Wapsi does a lot of East Coast and European stuff. Nature Spirit does a lot of North America stuff stuff airlines all over the world just kind of depends but those are the four brands just because they're easy for shops to bring in when they're mm-hmm. trying to bring in a thread for the shop sure um and and so which is nice about them um is they're all pretty similar um but what i really want to break down with this is as i said they're all synthetic threads but how they're measured so thickness of the thread mm-hmm. i think that's a huge place for people to get confused on i think oh yeah Mark and I were talking before the show, and that's something that you were you mentioned to me as well. Well, and some of the companies have a different way of measuring, and and it's you know, are we speaking apples to apples here? So why don't you walk us through that selection? Because to me, that you know, you hear the aughts, like the six aughts, or in uh, UTC, I hear seventy or one forty. Maybe walk us through that, or what what that really means. Yeah, sure. So. Um, the, the two different things are aughts and that's a number slash a number. So it looks like a fraction. So it's going to be six over zero or 12 over zero. And that's an aught. So whenever you hear someone refer to 12 aught or 12 O mm-hmm. thread or six O 16 O, those are all saying aughts. That's just how that's the slang in the, in the world. And then the other one is denier or D sometimes it's just the letter D next to a number, but it, it stands for denier. And what's interesting is denier is actually comes from the textile industry. It's I had to look this up because I had no idea about this. I just kind of knew it like I think a lot of fly tires. They just know the size that they like and that's what they go with. But denier is actually how many grams, 9,000 meters of that thread weigh, hmm. which is such an odd size. I did not get in the history of why that's the case. If anyone's interested, I would recommend just deep diving on that. I'm sure there's an old medieval reason why it's <laughs> measured by the 9,000 meters, but, but yeah. that, but there is a standard, right? So it's a size gauge. So for example, 70 deniers are really common size. UTC uh, does their sizing in denier and uh, they, uh, 70s pretty standard for a trout fly sized fly. Mm-hmm. And so that's going to weigh 70 grams if you pulled off 9,000 meters of it. So it's pretty light, generally <laughs> hey, speaking. Should we test it? Jeez. I mean, most spools don't go that long, so we're going to have to get a whole box of spools this, this, <laughs> and, this. and spin those off. I'm going to... And the other one is, as I said, is aughts. And it's not a standard like Denier does. It doesn't have like a ba- benchmark standard, kind of like Denier. Um, but it's more so it's measured uh, by comparing the sizing to other threads that that company produces and against uh their competition it's kind of similar how hooks are done nowadays so most hooks uh to kind of side rail just to give some more input on why i say that is hooks are typically sized they have a one company will have their standard hook and then they will do measurements and so a great example is tmc 100 is the standard dry fly hook so if you if you do a different i don't know all the tmc hook codes but if you did a TMC longer uh, than the standard and so on and so forth. So a 3X is 3I lengths, a 4X is 4, a 2X short, 1X gap, 1X heavy. These are all just different. They're comparing it against each other. Less that there's this some 
universal standard or a board that says this is what sizing should be. So that's kind of what aughts are in the fly tying world. Right. Yeah. And that's that's the first thing so, that came to mind in my brain when I first saw it was hook sizes because we, we refer to hooks in a similar in a similar manner. But I think it is, especially when someone's new to it, it can be a little confusing. And you say that with hooks, it is this is going to confuse people even more. So we all know that hook sizing goes from the bigger the number, the smaller the hook. So if you have a size two hook, that's much bigger than a size 12 hook. Until you get to a size one aught hook, and then the number over the the zero. So if it's a two aught, that's bigger than a one aught. A five aught is bigger than a two aught, and so on and so forth. So it, it kind of flips. So once you break past, there's no zero size hooks. There's a one and then a one aught. Once you get to one aught, the number signifies a bigger hook instead of a bigger number signifying a smaller hook. Right. So not trying to confuse people on this. When it comes to thread, the aughts, the larger the number over zero, the smaller the thread. So the largest aught you're going to see is going to be a three aught or a three o thread. And then the smallest you'll generally see um, is an 18 aught thread. And so that's the range in aught. So it goes from 3, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, 16, 18. Not every brand has every single one of those sizes, um, but those are the sizes that you'll see thread sized as. Got it. it when you're using aughts. And so that's going to be Vivas, that's going to be Uni, that's going to be Semperfly, Montana Fly Company, and TechStream. So those are kind of, those are all using the aught system. Then you have the denier system, which uses it's it's a number because it's an amount it's grams per nine thousand meters of it. So you'll have thirty, fifty, seventy, seventy-five, one hundred, one forty, one fifty, two hundred, two ten, three hundred. So that is a lot, um, and that is not to overwhelm people. But again, the larger the number on that, the thicker the thread. So seventy is thicker than thirty. And 210 is thicker than 140. Mm-hmm. So it's a little confusing, um, but it it should, when you compare the two, it should be pretty similar. And, and just looking at it, um, think of it when you're doing denier, remember it's how many grams per 9,000 meters. So if it's 100 grams, that's definitely more, thicker thread than 50 grams. Mm-hmm. And then aughts are just think of it like hook size, just drop to zero drop this slash zero and just go, okay, so I know 10 is smaller than eight. Right. Yeah. So that's a good way to kind of, for a new person getting into it. And for someone who's trying to organize their thread, that might be a good way to organize it. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I did read somewhere that, okay, so six aught Danville is uh equivalent in weight to an eight aught uni, which is equivalent roughly in weight to UTC 70. (laughs) <laughs> like you know right it, it's it is you know when you look at it that way you almost need you almost need like a chart you know how they have the hook charts you go well uh, this recipe is calling for such and such a mustad or such and such a you know name a hook company tmco and then you're like okay this is the equivalent of that right and so for example i, I, I wrote this down so i could have it here the general equivalencies the two that are probably the most important hands down, is 70 is about equivalent to six-aught thread. 
obviously unis is a little bit different and Danville's different. You know, they're all mm-hmm. a little different. But if just a general rule of thumb, 70 denier is six aught thread and 140 denier is about uh, three aught thread. Got it. Okay. So generally speaking, and it all changes and varies and everything's different, but um, one brand that I really think uh, does it well with it is Semperfly because they put both measurements on some of their spools, which is really nice. When they can put their 12-aught, for example, is equivalent to 70 denier, according to that brand, Semperfly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And that's with their classic wax thread. And then their nano silk, their 18-aught is equivalent to 30 denier. So that's just what – that's how they do it, which I really like that they put both measurements on there mm-hmm. um, because then it really eliminates the confusion for people. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but that being said, um, it does uh, – not all brands do that. UTC doesn't do that. Uni doesn't do it. Vivas doesn't do it. Everyone else doesn't do it. They're just the one brand that does. And so uh, take that for what it is. Mm-hmm. Um it doesn't make them better or worse than anybody else per se. It's just, that's how they decide to label their spools. Yeah. I think, I think that's a really good explanation of the sizing. And, th- and that is, let's face it, pretty much some of the most important parts because it, a, a lot of us are tying fairly similar size flies, especially if you're fishing for trout on moving water or still water, you know, there, a lot of flies are saying that, I don't know, uh, 10 to 14 range or even 12s and then so i would imagine as somebody that ties professionally like yourself there's certain threads you just kind of know it's um hey i go through a ton of this in in these colors like is is that how you order your thread based on the pattern sizes your and colors your your uh your tying yeah yeah that's a i do that sometimes and i don't want people to think well if i buy uh, 12-aught Vivas, it's the same thing as 12-aught Semperfly. Or if I buy 70 Denier UTC, it's the same as 70 Denier uh, Danville. They are all, none are created equal. They're just similar. Mm-hmm. It corrals them in a similar group. Okay. Because if we were to compare them to each other, they would all be in their own separate category, and that's just crazy. So think of it, like you said, apples to apples. They all are red apples in the 12 aught and they all are green apples in the eight aught like they're different varieties but they're all in the same kind of spot in the grocery store if that if that makes sense yeah totally i love it so that so i I think we've got an understanding of the sizings and there's obviously different companies doing it slightly differently um where where would you go next when it comes like would you talk about the basic properties of these different um threads or uh, what would you suggest we think next yeah no i would say that thread can be broken down into two of two categories which not to i'm again we want to make this as quick as simple as possible so people can understand this while they're driving to work or going to the next fishing spot or sitting at their fly tying desk and we don't have the visual aid i want to explain as best i can so there's two different categories that can split the thread two different ways and so one would be the thread sh- they're both thread structure things. One is what's the thread made of, and one is how the thread is uh, falls on the hook. Mm-hmm. So those are two different ways of categorizing it. So we'll start with what they're made out of. So 
the two different types of thread that our most fly tires are going to run into are going to be a gel spun polymer or GSP or a nylon thread. So again, they're both synthetic. One's nylon. They're both plastic. I don't want people to think like one's a different, they're just plastic uh, threads. They're plastic filaments. And so one is a nylon, which is what we make clothes out of, you know, nylon. Probably a lot of people's fishing packs are made out of, you know, ripstop nylon, Mm -hmm. you know, your backpacking pack or your, you know, shoulder strap on your bag that you take to the airport. That's all nylon. It's just, that's just woven nylon. And then gel spun polymer is a polymer. So it's a chain of, it's a different type of plastic chain bonding. And then it's spun, it's gelled where it's basically super smooth. Right. So Semperfly calls their GSP, they call it nano silk, which is essentially saying it's smooth like silk, but it's super fine, which it is. That's that's a great marketing way to put it. But it's just gel spun polymer. Vivas calls it GSP. Uh, UTC used to make it. They may still do, but I don't think anyone carries it around here anymore. But they had a GSP. There's a few brands that had it. Um, and so the two, the big differences be- between the two is that gel spun polymer is significantly stronger uh, for its size than nylon. So if you had six aught um, gel spun polymer and six aught nylon thread the six aught gel spun polymer will be will beat the snot out of the nylon every day of the week it is significantly stronger mm-hmm. there was a video that kind of went viral in the fly tying world at least vivas put out they were towing a boat with vivas <laughs> uh not vivas sorry semperfly they're towing a boat with semperfly nano silk their largest size Wow. Which I, I think is two, 200, 200 denier. I'm going to go look that up. I, I have not seen that. That's hilarious. It, 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 it's pretty crazy. I think it breaks at 18 pounds of force or something like that. I saw somewhere in a magazine article at one point that it has a crazy amount of force. To give people an idea, when I stack deer hair flies, I will use 200 denier GSP, which is basically... You know, it's a little bit stronger than 140 thread, but 200 denier GSP, I can break a four-aught hook in my vise. Wow. I can just bend it to breaking. So it's incredibly strong thread. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people really like that because they know they're not going to break it. They know they can put as much force on the material or the hook that they want. Right. Um, that, that no one else can, that nylon doesn't isn't able to do at all. So that's your that's your personal go-to on, on a lot of your, your deer hair patterns? Right. When it comes to deer hair flies or it comes to flies where I need to put a tremendous amount of force on a material. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is not deer hair flies like elk care caddises. The downside to GSP is because it's so strong, you can run the risk of cutting materials. So I wouldn't use GSP to tie a stimulator or an elk care caddis because I'll just cut through the hair. Mm-hmm. It's so th- that smaller size that I'd use for that smaller hook is so strong. It'd probably break a trout hook easily. But it also cut, it almost turns, it's like a hot knife going through foam. If anyone cuts foam for model making or anything like that, when they electrify a knife, a piece of wire, they call it a hot knife, and it can just slice through it. That's basically what GSP will do through deer hair or foam mm-hmm. um, in the smaller sizes because it is, it becomes so thin and so, it's almost like a survival saw. It just cuts straight through it. Yeah. It is really quite incredible. So I use GSP on, 
flies that I really want to strap materials to. I want to make them really durable. Um, and then they're not going to be tied with materials that I can cut. So anything that can compress will cut. So that is foam, deer hair, elk hair, that kind of stuff, antelope, reindeer, whatever you want to, that kind of style of hair, hollow hair, mm-hmm. or uh, squishy material. So rubber legs, squirmy worm material, flexi floss, it will cut through that just because it's so strong. It won't cut through it just automatically. It's, it's the amount of force you give it. And if you want any kind of, and the other downside to GSP um, is it doesn't have any stretch. So whatever force you give it is exactly the force you give it. There's no give or stretch to GSP. It's, yeah. It has something like a 3% stretch rate. It's something minuscule. Yeah. It's like braid. Well, and I, I, I read somewhere the uh, UTC and Danville are, you know, with the nylon, they're like 25 to 30% stretch. So you really can, there's a huge difference there. Right, you're getting 10 times the stretching in nylon that you would get, which some people don't like. They don't want their thread to bounce off the material and lose securement. Mm-hmm. So I talk, some of the strength of GSP is it's super strong, and it can be super thin and super small. It's almost, It also can be almost see-through, too. So some people really like that feature. If you're trying to blend colors on a coronamid or you're trying to do something like that, GSP is cool in that way where it can kind of blend because it's almost see-through. Super strong, almost see-through. Downside, as I said, it is almost too strong for stuff. It cuts through things. It doesn't have any stretch. It's hard to cut with your scissors. You need a razor blade or something to cut it. Mm-hmm. And it's incredibly slippery. Yeah. So if you do a typical jam knot when you start your thread on the hook, if you pull hard enough and the hook doesn't break when you pull on it, it will just unravel from your hook. So a lot of people will put a tiny drop of super glue on their hook and then start their GSP. Hmm. So yeah. those are kind of the, the pros and cons to it. You know, it's funny, uh, Garrett, I, I had not tied with GSP until relatively recently. And, uh, it just, it took me some getting used to I'm not going to be, you know, I'm not going to lie, but I don't do the deer hair patterns that you do. And I can see why you like using that, uh, that thread all day. Right, because if you're tying a fly, so a, de- a typical deer hair bass diver or something like, for example, I tied some mice and some rats for a guy going down to Bolivia um, for Dorado. And I've tied, I have some deer hair bass bugs on my desk that I'm selling to a buddy of mine for um, just bass fishing. But I've tied stuff for, all, you know, big, big deer hair flies for that kind of thing. I use 200 denier GSP, which does sometimes cut my hair still, but because it's a flat thread, which we'll get into, it distributes the weight a little bit differently and the other reason why i use it is if my thread breaks halfway through tying a fly that's taking me an hour and a half to tie it it, it's the worst thing that can happen so i don't i want the chance of my thread breaking as low as possible and so that's why i'm using gsp is i want it very very strong another uh fly you wouldn't want to tie with gsp would be like a tube fly and the reason why is you wouldn't be able to pull the tube off the mandrill because you'd be tying so you'd be compressing that tube so much you'd either cut through the tube or you'd basically strap it to the mandrill from pressure. So GSP has its place. It's becoming very popular. Semperflies nano silk has become wildly popular now because they have GSP in multiple colors and it's people, people really like it for, for certain applications. Mm-hmm. I, for I, me, I, I, I use up. it. I love it. Sorry. Carry on. Oh no, no. Uh, yeah. I, I, what I want to get into is I don't hate it. 
I just, I have gotten so used to how nylon performs. Mm -hmm. I want to, I don't want to have to relearn how to do it. It would be like, um, gosh, what's a great example of this? Uh, I living in North America, we drive on the left-hand side of the road. I wouldn't want to just get a right-hand drive car for the sake of getting it. (laughs) <laughs> unless I had to, because yeah. I got to learn everything left-handed now instead of right-handed. And I just, I, I, those who are used to it, good on you. And those who are not, it's going to take some learning to get used to it. There's some muscle memory involved with, with tying. I always think in the tension, tension is everything in a lot of ways, you know, and it's not something you got to practice. It's flight time, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And the other thing I just realized that I, I didn't mention, and it's more of a, a warning about GSP. As we said, there's a lot of great benefits. There's some cons. Another con, not, this isn't to bash it at all. It's just something to be mindful of, is it's very abrasive. So it will dull your scissors to no end if you try to cut it with scissors, mm-hmm. and it can actually damage your bobbins. Yeah, yeah. What, like put a groove in it kind of thing? It, Absolutely. It'll yeah. put a groove in your bobbin and it can then cut itself because it, it needs a razor blade kind of fashion to cut it. Mm-hmm. So essentially groove in a chip or a cut into your into your bobbin. So use the right bobbin for it. If I remember correctly, you don't really want to use metal. You want to use something really hard like ceramic. Um, I love like ruby tipped bobbins from Renzetti. GSP is not kind to that. I All my GSP typically goes through um, either a really heavy duty right bobbin, or I have a GSP specific bobbin that is kind of a sacrificial one, kind of like people will have wire or lead scissors. That's the GSP bobbin. And when it's too, if it's breaking my thread too often, then that one will go in the trash and I'll buy a new one when I need it. So love it. There's, keep it in mind when you're using it. You're throwing some nuggets here. Okay. So, well, let's, let's keep going on this thread train. So, um, we've talked about kind of some of the basic properties, you know, between nylon and, and GSP. Um, well, we really just got into GSP. Yeah. And okay. so, okay. I like, I like where you're going, Garrett. So we'll, we'll go into nylon as we, cause those are the two different thread structures, GSP and nylon. So there's two different types of nylon, really. There's, uh, unwaxed, which is m- more rare, rare and rarer, more hmm. than ever these days. There's, Uni is the only brand that has some threads that are unwaxed. Everyone else is doing wax thread. And so all the things we said about GSP, the inverse is true to nylon. Nylon's not as strong, but and nylon has a little bit more stretch, like we said. It has, you know, almost ten times the amount of stretch that it that GSP does. It sticks to the hook in a way because it most thread is wax, so it's going to stick to the hook a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it doesn't cut your materials. It doesn't cut your finger. It's easy to cut. It doesn't ruin bobbins. It doesn't ruin scissors. It has a lot of properties. It comes in, the colors are a lot more uh, opaque. So instead of being more of a translucent thread like GSP is, they're very strong and vibrant. They're never going to wash out or bleed out because they got wet or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. they're, they're very pronounced which is generally speaking great i i really like it and that's why i like nylon and uh the nylon brands out there they all have their own set of colors you know most uh guys who tie flies for a while will tell a new guy the only colors you need are black and white and in the grand scheme of things yeah that's great black and white will get you super super far 
Um, but the cool thing is, is now brands have a bajillion colors. And so I'm looking at my little thread carousel while I'm sitting at my desk and I can see 30 different colors of thread of just one brand and one size. So <laughs> it's just up to, it's just up to you on how crazy you want to get. Like, do you need light olive and watery olive or are you okay with just olive? Right. Are you okay with dark red, blood red, red claret? And per- like <laughs> you can get really specific on the colors right. um, if you want to, and you don't have to everyone, you know, if it meets your purpose, and there's plenty of threads where I buy the, buy a color thinking, oh, this is a cool color, and then I don't use it hmm. um, yeah, I find for a that, year. That's. Can I ask you this, Garrett? Like, do you find sure. in your personal tying with the thread selection, is it based on more so history, kind of what you learn to tie on? That's what you're used to, and then something new comes along, you may or may not try it, but it kind of evolves that way. Yeah, it's kind of so. My first thread to give some people background on me was Danville. Danville, my fly shop. The owner was a is a Danville man. That's what he likes. And so when new people come in, he puts them on seventy denier flat wax nylon Danville thread, mm-hmm. and that's what I learned on, and that was my bread and butter. And I think, and if I was being biased, I think that's where everyone should start. I mean. It may not work for everybody. You know, I would think everyone should start on a nine foot five weight for fishing. (laughs) But if you live in the Everglades or the Keys or you live somewhere where that's not really viable, you might need your first run might need to be a nine foot eight weight. Mm -hmm. And so depending on what you're fishing for and depending on what flies you want to tie, because most people who fly fish don't tie flies and most people who tie flies don't tie all their flies. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I told you this in the last episode, but I think I've bought the amount of flies I've bought have been 10 or less. And that's a combination of buying flies as an example and buying flies to fish with. I mean, yeah. not 10 individual patterns. I mean, 10 individual flies. I don't buy any flies. I tie everything. And so my needs are different than a guy who lives in Colorado who's trying to uh, match the local tailwater and he wants to tie a bunch of midges for the river and he doesn't want to spend three dollars and fifty cents at the local fly shop on midges he rather just tie the zebra midges himself and so his needs are going to be wildly different than someone like myself and it would be wildly different than someone who just does still water versus salt water versus you know living in south africa versus australia versus america so everyone's different Mm -hmm. um that being said but generally speaking most people who fly fish they're either coming to the sport because they saw a tarpon jump out of the water or they saw a trout eat a dry fly. And I think in North America, it's the trout eating the dry fly more so than not. And so yeah, that's, um, that's going to be your flat wax nylon. That's going to be your nylon. And I say flat wax because that's the other differentiating way mm-hmm. of thread is either flat or corded. Well, that when, when I started tying in, like, say, the early 80s, the fly shops near me, not that there was a lot of them, but they only had Unithread. That, that was the brand. It was always Unithread. So that's what I learned to tie on. The day I discovered flat, it changed my tying. And I, I don't even remember when that was, but I remember thinking to myself, why why haven't I used something flat waxed sooner? It just, it does make your tying a lot simpler and a lot less bulky. Oh, it does. And for most people, that's the case. Um, so if you want to know what corded thread is and ha- see someone use it, which I think the only person that's really using it 
uh, online and is posting videos and content using corded unwaxed thread is Davy McPhail. Davy McPhail, his videos, almost all his videos, not all of them, but a lot of them, especially his trout stuff, is all tied with six aught uh, or eight aught unwaxed uni thread, which is corded. Mm-hmm. Um, there's only two brands I know out of the brands that I mentioned above that do corded thread. So uh, uni does corded thread. All their thread is corded. And then Vivas, for whatever reason, I don't understand this, um, they do have two of their threads are corded. And their two threads that are corded is their six-aught thread. Their six-aught thread is corded. Um, so if you get 8-aught, 10-aught, 12-aught, 14-aught, those are all going to be flat threads. And then if you get 16-aught, that is also corded. So their 6 and 16 are corded. And they're, everything else is flat. Hmm. And then Danville's all flat. UTC's all flat. Uh, Semperfly's all flat. Um, one of the other brands that I had here. Montana Fly Company is flat. Techstream is flat. So it's Uni and some Beavis threads are going to be corded. But the Beavis threads that are corded are waxed, where Unis are not. Do you, like, you always, you sound like you buy wax thread pretty much exclusively. Is that is that accurate? Correct. And most people are going to buy wax thread when they go to a fly shop. That's what's going to be on the shelves unless they see uni there. Well, it used um, to say on a lot of them, it would have a W or it would say waxed. I don't even see people don't really talk about wax anymore. I, I've got like little, they're like uh, almost like a Blistex chapstick kind of thing. Uh, that is wax for, you know, for your dubbing and whatnot. And, and I, I did when I started, I used to wax the thread, which seems so uh, prehistoric now, but people still do it. It kind of is because, yeah, the, the manufacturers can wax the thread. And and the nice thing about pre-wax thread, one, it's evenly distributed through the thread. So there's never wax buildup. I literally saw on Facebook, it was either today or yesterday, uh, a post on one of the groups saying, how do I clear wax buildup out of my bobbins? Um, you, don't you hear, won't have you don't wax buildup on. <laughs> yeah, I haven't. Yeah, heard... that's not a thing. No, it's not a thing. It's not a thing anymore. I mean, for some people, it is. If you use uni thread and you wax it, it will be. But uh, factory wax thread uh, is distributed evenly, and it's not overly coated. So it's a very thin layer. It's just enough, in my opinion. Um, I tell people uh, because I host the fly tying night for my fly fishing club in the local area here, here in Lebanon, Lebanon, Albany, Corvallis kind of area, uh, that you don't need to buy dubbing wax. Because again, in North America, most dubbing wax is going to be a very tacky, sticky, uh, almost a paste. It's not going to be what the right kind of wax is going to be. The right kind of wax, Semperfly sells it and Vineyard sells it. And it's also kind of a mixture of stuff. Davy McPhail does a video on his waxing because you'll see him wax his thread and people asked enough questions where he did a video. And then he will take it and he, I think he soaks the brick in warm water and he pulls off chunks and then he's, it's tacky and he'll stick it to the outside of his pointer finger on his left hand or right hand. I forget where, um, and then he will wax his th- thread periodically. So he'll pre-wax a chunk of thread and then spool it back up and then tie with it. And then if he uses more thread than it, than 
be pre-waxed. Mm-hmm. He'll wax it as he goes. The benefit <laughs> to waxing your thread is your thread becomes very sticky. And if you've ever wanted a really tall head and a very tight head to the to your fly mm-hmm. that you're tying, so tall and tight, close to the eye of the hook, the only way to do that is by waxing your thread because then your thread will stick to itself and it won't fall off over the eye and unspool off your off oh, your fly. That's a good tip. So there is a benefit. Yeah. There is a benefit to waxing your thread. Um, the general tacky wax that you'd buy, the dubbing wax or thread wax that you'd buy here from like Caroline or Nature Spirit or something like that, that is more for dubbing. People use it to help them dub. Yeah. Um, I don't use that because I want a lot of control of my dubbing. When I dub, I'm squeezing that dubbing to the thread unbelievably tightly. I mean, I'm putting a ton of pressure. Like I'm trying to crush like a tick or a flea kind of thing. Like, I mean, that kind of amount of pressure. You're really trying to squeeze on it. And then I am stretching my dubbing, which is something Davey McPhail does a lot. He'll stretch his dubbing closer to the fly. It's tight and then further towards the bobbin. It's loose. And as he wraps the dubbing up, he twists and pulls and twists and pulls and he stretches the dubbing to get a really even body. Hmm. And that technique I picked up from him and it's, it makes your bodies a lot smoother and a lot cleaner yeah. and it allows you not to have all these lumps and bumps in there. But when you have uh, added dubbing wax to your thread, your thread is so sticky, the dubbing doesn't want to move. So the only time I really use that is if I touch dub or if I'm going to be using a very slippery thread, perhaps like GSP and I'm going to be using a dubbing loop. Hmm. So I'll use, I'll use dubbing wax or thread wax in those situations. But if I'm picking up my 12 watt Vivas or 12 watt Semper fly, which is what I generally use for almost all my flies uh, for trout flies, I, I don't, I would have to dig for my dubbing wax right now. If you told me to go find it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I get it. Interesting. And, and, you just said something again. We talked briefly about thread tension, but that tension again, I'm sure, is super important when you're uh, employing that that trick you learned from watching Davy McPhail tie. Oh yeah, it's all that kind of stuff. And like as I said, because nylon has more stretch than GSB, you can almost bounce your your thread loose, and it can untension something, and your material can fall out of your hook. So, for example, I was just tying some apps worm, brandling worms. If anyone anyone across the pond is going to know exactly what I'm talking about. But essentially, it's a flexi floss or life flex worm. But you pull the worm material really, really tight so it doesn't – so it makes a really thin body. But then if I don't – if I stop at the end and let go of my bobbin, it's going to release all that tension I've saved in the thread. Mm-hmm. And then the tension from the, the flexi floss – will counteract it, and then it basically unspools my whole fly. So I basically have to keep tension the entire time. Yeah. that that. And if I bump my bobbin or bump my hook, it can just unfurl as well. Oh, so you would... just got to keep that in mind. Yeah, that would be frustrating. Hmm. Incredibly. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Okay, so, so where are we now? The two di- so also GSP. Yeah, so then going back to GSP, all GSP is also flat thread. There's no corded GSP. So if your goal is really strong, flat thread, GSP is the way to go. If you want really vibrant colors in flat thread and you're okay with it not being strong enough to tow a boat, then you can go with flat wax nylon. Um, every thread also has different breaking strength just because it says it's 6-aught, 8-aught, 12-aught, 70 denier, 140. 
they all have different breaking strength as well that you will feel that over time. So for example, I think 70 denier UTC has the same breaking strength as 30 denier Danville. I mean, I think hmm. UTC 70 denier is incredibly fragile. I've broken that thread more than any other thread I've ever broken while tying flies. Interesting. Um, I, I just think it's really, really fragile. And it, I think the reason why it's super fragile is it is the flattest of all the threads. So if you ever flatten thread, which I should talk about that, because you can't flatten corded thread. Corded thread won't lay flat. It always lays in a in a rope. Think of rope. You can't flatten rope out. Right. Um, but you can flatten flat thread. And so um, every time you wrap one revolution around the hook, you are putting one uh, clockwise spin into the thread. So I work in an office where we still have corded phones. And if I, you'll notice corded phones, if anyone remembers those, oh, yeah. they will furl mm -hmm. or thread will, or your leader will furl on itself. If there's revolutions, put it twists, put into it. So if you want to flatten your thread, you have to spin your bobbin while it's attached to your fly that you're tying, find a spot where you know you're not going to unravel something. And if you spin your bobbin clockwise, you can literally watch it go from corded to flat. It'll just get wider. Mm -hmm. um, and that allows you to lay a really, really smooth and flat base down, either attaching materials or creating a, a thread body or an underbody for your fly. Um, when I learned how to counter spin thread, my mind was blown because my whip finishes looked a lot neater. Yeah. My flies started looking a lot cleaner. It is imperative when you're tying wire bodied flies. So a copper John, a brassy, um, if I'm putting tinsel down, if I'm putting um, anything down, I've just gotten the habit where all I try to tie as flat as possible and as smoothly as possible because I get a much better fly. When my base is good, my foundation is good. The rest of the building ends up good as well hmm. um see that's something that so i know I, I need to work on that i know i do and i know i still haven't quite figured it out figured it out because when that thread does lie flat um it is it's a game changer for bulk because everything gets so tight to the hook and looks so professional right oh yeah it, it clean it cleans your fly up tenfold and Somehow Davy McPhail is able to do that with a corded thread. I think that's just because he has, you know, decades and decades of experience being able to do that. But the guys here in the States that tie really, really clean flies, you'll see him do it. When you watch Curtis or Cheech or anyone at Fly Fish Food tie a fly, hmm. you'll see them constantly spinning their thread. And we do it inherently. When you, when you let go of your bobbin and it's just dangling underneath your hook, it will spin automatically. It will unfurl itself. It will uncord. So... Yeah. That will happen automatically, but you'll see these guys are always doing it. Uh, Tim Flagler at Tightline Productions, he's doing that. Um, guys at the Caddis Fly. I'm trying to think of other big YouTube channels that people have. They're always spinning their thread. They may not call it out. You may not see it because the camera is so tight to the fly. You can't see the bobbin anymore. But they're constantly spinning that thread out to make sure that it's flat. Mm -hmm. And the times that they'll talk about it is when they do a thread body or an underbody to something. So like I said, a copper John, a brassy, but they'd also do it to a zebra midge or an ice cream cone or um, like a humpy. 
these kind of flies need a thread body. And so you have to have a flatter thread also does more coverage. So you need less wraps to cover the same amount of same area of the hook. Hmm. So less wraps gives you a thinner fly, which gives you less bulk, which allows it to sink quicker, looks cleaner, theoretically fish better. I mean, again, it's not necessarily a flatter fly or a thinner, smoother fly is not going to catch more fish than the guy next to you, but it might give you more confidence in the fly that you choose. So therefore you'll fish it better and catch more fish that that's kind of the theory behind that, but it's all up to each person right. and how they tie, you know, how they tie and what they do. But I really prefer a flat thread and a strong thread. Vivas came on the market as a very strong thread same thing with Semperfly. Those are the two brands I use more than anything. Um, and I use their flat wax nylon, both of them. So, and I use 12 watt, 12 watt for almost everything trout related. Um, I think I wrote down where I use the thread. So, um, yeah, 10 and 12 watt threads. Those are going to be, uh, trout flies. I'll use 10 aught or eight aught for bigger trout flies. Mm-hmm. Um, 14 aught, that's going to be stuff for like hot spots on Euro nymphs, things like that. 16 is for very small, complicated nymphs or dry flies. Otherwise, I'll still use 12 watt and just use less thread. Um, I'll use 200 denier GSP on all stacked deer hair flies. And that's the only place I use it. And I only use white. I use white. Sometimes I'll use black, but I mainly just use white because you're not going to see it right. ever. Yeah. yeah. And then 100 denier GSP I use on large streamers, some salmon and steelhead flies, these are flies that I'm going to be strapping things like um, wire brushes or I'm going to go to town with them with like a dubbing brush and just really rake them out. I don't want my thread to break in, in the fly. Uh, salmon and steelhead flies, sometimes like if I tie a like an intruder style fly, I use GSP now for that. Just It makes my dubbing loops a lot stronger so I don't break the dubbing loop while I twist it and I don't break it when I rake it out later. Mm-hmm. And then I use 140 denier uh power thread from vivas uh, that's what they call their 140 size stuff is power thread i use that um uh for like bass fly streamers eyes on like if i'm strapping dumbbell eyes to a fly that's what i'll use that for oh i struggle and then, i struggle with that i gotta tell you when it, dumbbells they, they want to turn so the trick the trick is with that is you got to put thread down before you put the dumbbell eyes down. You got to put a thread base. Right. And then you'll do a figure eights or figure fours. Gunnar Brammer says figure fours or figure twos. That's kind of a, a way to do it. And then you want to go, instead of going over the top of the eyes, under the hook, over the top of the eyes, under the hook in an X shape, you want to go over one side of the eyes under the hook over the other side of the hook. So like you're going up and over under and over under and over under and over kind of, Mm -hmm. it's hard to explain just why words. And then you almost want to parachute at the very end after you've done figure eights and up and over, then you kind of want to parachute post Hmm. um, your eyes. Cause what that does is it takes all that thread that was in like an angle and it tightens it up around the eyes and those eyes will get as locked to that hook as they're going to be until you put super glue, and then they'll be lock locked. Man, so you're, you're throwing. I, I'm trying to describe it. I love it. <laughs> I know that's great. You did. You did a great uh, yeah. job. I don't know how you even. Are you ever not thinking about tying flies? 
Not really, no. I'm <laughs> I if I'm not, you know, working at work or if I'm not hanging out with friends, family, significant other, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. and I'm just at home, I am tying flies. Like before you called today, I was tying flies and I tied up a few. I'm working on a new river box right now, so I'm tying up flies for that and I watched a movie and that's what I did. I just tied flies. I love it. And so I'm doing that all the time. And then whenever a thought comes in my head, I'm putting it, I'm jotting it down. I use Google Keep as my note app, mm-hmm. and it's packed. I got it all color coded and broken up into different files and folders. <laughs> so we're, I keep that kind of all broken down. We're doing a deep dive today on thread when it comes to uh, tying up your favorite patterns. We've got Garrett Lesko on the line from OregonFlyTying.com. Look him up. He's doing some custom flies, spends a lot of time at the vice, and really, he's, you've answered a lot of questions that I've had about thread. Is there anything we haven't covered so far that maybe we should? Um. Let me see. I'm looking through my notes here. So we, so just to cover, what we just to kind of summarize what we've covered so far. So we talked about some brands. We talked about sizing. Mm-hmm. We talked about the different uh, thread material, either GSP or nylon. We talked about how that is put on a spool. So it's either put on the spool corded or flat. And then we've talked about waxed and unwaxed thread. Um, I think some of the other stuff that we talk about are kind of the specialty things. So one specialty thing I would talk about is if any of your listeners use a Norvice or if anyone's looking into getting a Norvice, um, if I go to any fly tying show at all, there's the Norvice guys are there. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember when Norm was still with us, I remember going and talking to him and watching him tie. And he is, it's the Cutco of vices, man. That man knows how to wheel and deal a vice and, he sells a lot of them that way, and they and uh, Norvice they sell a lot of vices by being able to go to shows and highlight the specialties that the Norvice is able to do. And one of the big benefits that Norvice is able to push to people is the whole system works with this cool rotary setup and the and the kind of the table that the Norvice sits on. And then the the thing that makes it really work is the bobbins. They have automatic bobbins, which I. I don't know how many people are familiar with them. I have a buddy who ties exclusively on those bobbins and almost always with a Norvice, if not in the, you know, he'll still use the bobbins, but he'll use them on a different vice. And so they automatically allow thread to come out and pull thread in. So they pull thread in. So you never have to manually wind thread back onto the spool. It just spools itself. The downside is it doesn't take the standard size spool. So all thread is put on a standard size spool. Um, I'll pull it a, a ruler right here and measure it. So it's about, it looks like it's about an inch and a quarter long and about an inch in diameter. And they all have the same kind of central mandrel that fits inside almost every bobbin out there, except for the the Norvice. Norvice, they have to, uh, you have to either, you have to manually unspool the thread that you buy, if you buy on a standard spool and spool it onto mm-hmm. their spools, which can be super annoying. Um, and that's usually the thing that people get weird about and they don't like to do. Um, but what my friend does, because he loves that bobbin system and he's so used to it now, you're tying on it for 10, 12 years. What he does is he buys bulk thread. So he just goes on eBay or Amazon or just looks online to like a textile company 
and he'll buy a 10 pound spool of black, red, white, whatever color of thread he wants. And that should last him about 50 years. <laughs> so, yeah. and then he'll take his, he'll load the, the spools, the Norvice spools into a, a cordless drill and use the cordless drill to spool up spools. That's smart. So if you do go that direction or you're thinking about going that direction, you won't be have access to any of the threads that I've talked about unless you want to do that spooling process yourself. Um, or you can just buy bulk thread. Just f make sure when you buy it, see if it's waxed, mm -hmm. see if it's flat or corded and what size it is. And in that case, if you're buying it from a textile company, it's all going to be in denier. So, you know, you can buy 70 denier textile nylon thread that's been waxed and is flat and you can buy a, a five pound spool of it and you'll have enough thread to last your lifetime, your kid's lifetime and maybe your grandkids lifetime. So <laughs> I'm laughing. I'm looking in my hand. I have a spool from a, my very first fly tying kit. It's quite old. It was it was used when I got it, but you know how the thread spools are on a sewing machine. They're like um, very small, um, but I had to actually wind my own thread on this, and it used to drive me nuts if I wanted to change the color. You could buy all these little re re refillable, kind of almost like a reel, like a spool in a reel, like in a fly reel. And uh, are you talking about like the really thin long spools? Yes, it's it's. Uh, yeah it's bizarre but i still use if it. anyone is familiar with like sulky sulky tinsel i think they're on the same kind of spool yeah yeah exactly exactly there's certain i have certain tinsels that fit in it and it, it's um it's a bulletproof um bobbin but um it's just when you said spooling i'm like oh man but i, I have seen that norvice at at shows and man it's pretty cool to watch isn't it always it always kind of uh there's always a, a bunch of people around watching that because you can really get some work done in a hurry. Oh, yeah. And I can't stand watch at the booth too long because I'm convinced they'll try to sell me a, a $700 vice system if I stay there long enough. And they probably will. So <laughs> I have to it has to be kind of like a drive by. I have to stop by, say hello, and then just keep walking because <laughs> nothing, I'll get nothing to see it, here. Just keep going. <laughs> I'll get sham wowed into it. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. I so know, I know. That, that's one specialty thing for sure. I've had a few uh, folks on the show that are like in uh, the Norvice uh, Pro Tires and, and they won't use anything else. It's pretty cool to talk to them. But anyway, I digress. Oh, yeah. So, okay. um, but there's like a guy. So, for example, there's a guy I like. His name is uh, Rupert Harvey and he's out of the UK. And his flies are awesome. He ties destination flies. So guys going after GTs and stuff like that. And he does all that work on a Norvice. So you can tie really big stuff. You can tie really small stuff. It, you can do two flies. You can do dubbing brushes. It's a cool system. Um, it's just not the system I have invested time, energy, and money into. So mm -hmm. if it's something you're considering, um, don't be intimidated by the spools. You can just buy bulk thread. And then you'll never have to go to buy thread ever again. So it's kind of nice. <laughs> I used to work with a guy that had, you know, the weed, weed whackers, weed eaters. He was convinced that he would have yeah. to go and buy a new spool every time he ran out of line. I'm like, w w why don't you just buy the line? He's like, you can do that. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he went, yeah, I'm you, not... just buy the, you can just buy the line. <laughs> he, he would buy the whole spool that had the, uh, the the uh, string already on it. I, I got a kick out of that. It was revolutionary for him when he found out he could re-spool it. 
himself. That'd be like throwing away your Baba when you ran out of thread. Exactly. I still laugh about it to this day. Uh, bizarre. But you don't know if you don't know, right? And this was before YouTube. Uh, exactly. And and that's one of those things where uh, that's kind of how we're talking here. We're talking if you don't know, you don't know. So yeah. Yeah. Um, the, some other things that I would want to note, some of the specialty things out there. Um, so I would say notable threads that, that aren't in the regular rotation for me, but they are worth having. Um, one is, is mono thread. So I mentioned how to strap eyes to a hook, uh, with 140 or 210 denier kind of thread, like heavy thread to strap it down. And again, I'm using nylon on that because I want to be able to pull and not worry about cutting anything. Lead's really soft. You don't want to cut through lead. And then you also don't want to cut, cut through the thread itself. So I mono thread is really cool. Because when you use mono thread with a fully synthetic fly, which is what I would be using it for. So I only use mono thread when I tie fully synthetic Clouser minnows. So if anyone listens to the um, wet fly swing podcast that I was just on, I talked about jetty fishing and I use synthetic Clousers for that. And hmm. so I will strap the eyes to the, the Clouser using 140 denier flat wax nylon. I will glue it and I'll do... I don't know, however many flies I'm going to tie, let's say a dozen. And then I'll come through and tie those flies using the, basically it's a polypropylene-based uh, synthetic uh, wing and flash kind of thing. And I will tie the fly with that, but I'll use mono thread. And so mono thread, like what it sounds like, it's just monofilament. It's the same monofilament that would be on a tippet spool. It's the same monofilament you would buy at the store except for instead of being on a tippet spool, it's on a thread spool. So you can load it into a bobbin. Mm-hmm. Um, the cool thing about it, um, or I'll warn people about it, it's always corded. So even corded thread, you can sometimes split and get into. Um, but with mono thread, you obviously can't because it's one piece. It's not multiple strands. It's one solid um, piece of material. And then it also has a ton of stretch, but it also doesn't lay flat on your hook. So you're going to have a lumpy fly. So that's why I only use it on flies with wings and things like that. But the big benefit is, is when you mix monofilament, polypropylene yarn, and CA glue, which is basically the, the generic way of calling Zappagap or Loctite, that kind of super glue. When you mix all three of those together, it essentially... If anyone's ever dropped super glue on like foam, it kind of melts it and burns it. Or if you've ever spray painted like foam board, it, the solvents in there melt it. And so the CA glue kind of slightly melts the plastic and then it solidifies very quickly. And so it's essentially like how a plumber or anyone who's connecting PVC together, they'll put a primer and a glue and it almost kind of melts it mm-hmm. and then it solidifies. So they call it welding. It's, it's, it's not welding, but it's welding in a sense. So that makes your fly really bulletproof. It kind of welds all the fibers and your monofilament together as one cohesive mass. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and that's really nice for fully synthetic flies. I've seen it done on flies. Uh, Gunnar Brammer, who's out of Duluth, Minnesota, he does that on some of his flies. It's kind of a cool technique. Um, so just for people who tie flies like that, so if you tie stuff for bonefish or permit or tarpon, I would do that and then let your, especially for fly, fly, fish like that, fish like that are very sensitive to scent and things like that, let your flies off gas for a while and then put them into your box and you should be fine. But it will make them a lot more durable um, hmm. and last a lot longer. So mono thread is definitely 
uh, something I would have if you plan to do that kind of fishing. Now, if you live in Montana, you're probably not going to be dealing with flies like that unless you're going on a trip. So that might not be something you need. Mm. But it's also a pretty convenient way if you use mono ribbing and Euronymphs to like keep a tighter body or to protect something or monofilament uh, for ribbing and dry flies, like an elk caddis or a stimulator, things like that. It's just a convenient way to keep mono on your fly tying desk. Yeah. Well, true, um, true story. I'm looking at some. I've never used it. And I've, 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 I, I thought I could make legs out of this. What should I do with this? And then it's like I just kind of had an aha moment there because um, I do tie some minnow patterns, um, like to try and imitate kokanee on some of the bigger lakes here. And I think it might be a nice fit, like your like on your clouser. I could see why you would do that. Yeah, and it's clear too. So whatever material you're tying down, that's the color of the thread. Mm-hmm. Love it. So that's the other added benefit to it. It's clear. Good stuff. So th- that's kind of one of those things that's a specialty. I don't. It's not a thread, but the special. It's it goes in a bobbin. Mm-hmm. Um. The, another specialty thing that would go no bobbin that's not a thread is going to be um, materials like, as I said, it would be stuff like Vivas Body Quill, Semperfly Micro Glint, or I believe it's called Tires Mate um, Glint and Glitter. Um, hmm. I want to make sure I get the name right. Yeah. Uh, it's called Nymphit. Okay. So it's called Tires Mate Nymphit. And what it is is what's a I, let me pull some over here that i have so it's essentially a tinsel and flash wrapped around a very thin mono core hmm. and so what it allows you to do is you can load it into a bobbin use it as your fly tying thread e- either that body quill from vivas the micro glint from semperfly and the tires mate nymphit and what that does is you can tie these really cool flies that look like they're tied with wire or look like they're tied with tinsel and you get these really just cool flies um, because you're not using any thread. You're just using flash as your thread. That's neat. Yeah, um, I like the sound of that. I, I see a lot of guys will tie flies. Like it's a great substitute for like a copper John. So instead of having to deal with wire and trying to make sure all your wire stacks line up perfectly, it's just your working thread. So as long as you build a tapered body with your thread and then cover it with a UV resin, no fish will be the wiser. Most fly anglers won't be the wiser and you'll get a really clean body without having to deal with because if you don't have a super super smooth underbody and you try to wrap wire over it it will find every valley and (laughs) peak in your thread body and jump around and so this gives you a cool thing i use it on buzzers to add a really subtle flash rib nice on like buzzers and coronamids and stuff like that Uh, a lot of people will tie paradigons with it so it's a full paradigon just so it's uh, a tail with Coke de Leon and then the Nymphit or Microglint or Body uh, body Quill from Vivas. It's any of those kind of things. And you tie this really cool um, Paragon that's super bright and flashy. And I've seen some other attractors and things like that, like little pulling flies, little streamers, things like that. So that's kind of a cool thing. And anything that's in a spool, you could theoretically run through your bobbin. There's certain things that are better than others. I wouldn't run small opal tinsel or you know, or mirror silver mirror tinsel through your bobbin. Yeah. Um, you could, I just wouldn't do it. And then you can also run wire through your bobbin too. Um, yeah, I've tried the original that. Sawyer's pheasant tail or Utah killer bug or, uh, 
gosh, what's the other fly? A fly tied with Chadwick 477. Those flies are all tied with copper wire as the working thread. So it adds weight and and it's your working thread. Mm -hmm. So some guys really like that kind of stuff. I, again, just like monofilament, it's always corded. It doesn't lay smooth. It's, it's damaging. It's really damaging to your bobbins. So keep that in mind if you use something like wire in your bobbins, but those are kind of like the specialty things. And then I think the last kind of specialty thing, this is kind of the words of wisdom from me about don't do it. Uh, it's definitely fallen out of fashion. It's going to be hard to find, but if you're rummaging through the discount bin at your local fly shop and you find Kevlar at all, find Kevlar thread, leave it in the discount bin. It's there for a reason. Don't use Kevlar. Kevlar is super thick. It's some of the thickest thread I've ever used in my life and it's corded and it's the color rubs off it or it's like this weird off colored yellow, like almost like a cat skill yellow, yeah. but it's not as nice as cat skill yellow. It looks almost like it was stained yellow. Um, but just keep that in like Kevlar is just, it was essentially what, uh, was ahead of GSP. GSP yeah. replaced Kevlar. Like a and that's why no one uses it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. the precursor for sure. Yeah. And I find that with a lot of materials, a lot of things over the years, something will come out. It's like, wow, that was pretty cool. And then someone will just make it that much better. And you're like, yeah, okay. That's the thing of the past. Yeah. And, and definitely Kevlar is the thing of the past. Um, other than that, the, the things I would mention about thread, I think we covered a lot about thread, but the yeah. things I would, I would, I would also mention just because I feel like it's important to mention this as well is don't put your thread in direct sunlight, um, UV rays, just like they would damage your fly lines, your leaders or tippet. These are plastics. Plastic is very susceptible to UV mm -hmm. uh, radiation. And so they will become weaker and more brittle, or they can even potentially bleach sun bleach out the color. So, don't put your thread in direct sunlight. Keep it in a drawer or keep it on your desk, not in a window. Um, my thread is on my desk. All the working thread I use is on my desk, but it's not in the window. So my window doesn't shine light on it, so it, it doesn't have any issue with it. So don't cut it in direct sunlight. And before handling your thread, because your fingers are so covered in dirt and oil, I have a buddy of mine who works in excavation, and he has to scrub his hands before he touches his thread. Because all that thread, because it's, besides GSP, all your nylon thread is porous. It's going to soak um, whatever you put on it. So it soaks up head cement, it soaks up UV resin, it soaks up dirt, it soaks up oils, it soaks up everything that you might have uh, that you bring to the thread. So if you want your white thread to stay white, just make sure you wash your hands before you handle it. Before I tie flies, I really try to wash my hands before I tie flies. It takes, you know, it strips off a lot of the oils because you're using soap and it allows you to kind of start the process a little bit cleaner. It's easier to dub flies when you don't have pizza grease on your fingers. I mean, just as an example, um, our fly tying night. Yeah. Well, our fly, I say that because our fly tying night this month is our Christmas party as well for our fly tying club. Yeah. And so they're going to bring in, they're going to bring in pizza and it's like, all right, great. So we're all going to eat pizza and then we're all going to try to tie flies. <laughs> so it's, it's not going to be great. But like if you tie in the evenings, like a lot of us do, and you have dinner with a family, just before you sit down to tie, like if you're going to strap a bunch of lead eyes to hooks and you're going to watch TV with a family, even if you're doing that, I would still recommend just make it a habit of 
going and washing your hands real quick and just making sure you're, you're walking in with a clean mm-hmm. hands to tie with. Um, I do that. I come home. I usually tie flies for an hour or two before I, I make dinner and I'll come home and wash my hands kind of thing. And so, yeah, um, it, it'll just keep your thread looking nicer. White threads, yellow threads, orange threads, chartreuse threads, those are going to be the most susceptible to that. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to have other threads that are going to be less susceptible to that. You know, blacks, blues, purples, clarets. You're not going to notice it as much, but it, it, I just think it's a, a little thing that's overlooked. Yeah. Well, um, it's important. For people. So you're working with your hands. I mean, yeah. And I, I know we talked about this in in the past show, I believe, but are you, I forget, are you using anything to uh, magnify what you're doing or you've just got good enough vision? You don't need to do that. Like how, I think that's really important when you're working with thread, you're trying to keep your, especially if you're trying to keep your thread flat, you can, sometimes for me, it's hard to see that it's not flat. I need, I need to have my three X cheaters on so I can actually see, but, um, how how do you know? Do you, do you notice it right away? Is it a feel thing with you, Garrett? Yeah, I'll notice it. You'll also see it in your um, as you tie. So as you're tying, you'll see the thread start to cord up because you'll see it compared to uncorded thread. So you'll wrap over the top and go, "Well, this isn't le- this isn't blending as well. This is almost looks like little hills." Mm-hmm. And I'm a younger guy. I'm 28 years old. So and I I wear prescription glasses, but that's for distance. Um, but the things that definitely help with that, it's going to be a feel thing for sure. You're going to feel it. Mm-hmm. It's like the kind of say with uranymphine, if you're feeling it, you're missing half your strike. So you should be seeing it. I see it usually. And I've also gotten the habit. So I do a jam knot to start my fly. I wrap down to the, uh, bend of the hook to tie my tail while I'm getting my tail material. I'll give it a gentle little spin and grab my tail material stop my bobbin from spinning start wrapping. And it's just, it's kind of become a habit for me, but don't feel any shame with wearing cheaters. I know eventually I'm going to have to get my a magnifying, either a magnifier or get bifocals or do something to be able to see up close as I get older. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing that I highly recommend is get as much light on your fly as possible. Yeah. You should be, it should look like an operating room in there, in my opinion. And so I used to tie with three different lamps and I have switched over probably, gosh, it must've been eight or nine years ago, but I switched over to, I use a a two foot led shop light. That's about, I don't know, two feet from my jaws of my vice. Mm -hmm. So I have a shop light that's supposed to illuminate a shop (laughs) two feet from my vice. So I have, I over light it. I'd use a ton of light. I, if you're going to tie flies, you want as much light as you possibly can. Love it. Love it. Um, so that helps. They'll help you see it. Yeah. You'll feel it. And then there's also no shame in backing off your thread. Some people feel like once they do a revolution around the hook, that thread is glued to the hook. And unless it's literally glued or UV resin to the hook, you can just undo it Yeah. and wrap it back off spin your spin your bobbin so it, it counter spins and then uh go forward you can also check it too so if you have a bodkin pull your bobbin towards your body so it's like a 45 degree angle kind of uh you know pointing towards your belly button mm-hmm. um and then take a, a bodkin and kind of rub it on the backside, pushing the bodkin 
through the thread towards your face and kind of moving it up and down. And if the thread is corded around there, it'll stay corded. And if it's flat, obviously you'll see it flatten out. And so if you look at it and go, oh, wow, this is really corded, just set everything down, spin your bobbin, and you're, you're back in business. I do that every single time before I split my thread, which is something we didn't talk about. But flat thread is, some, is allows you to split it. So you're not, so it allows you to build a dubbing loop in your thread instead of creating a dubbing loop. Oh, I see what you mean. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so if you take a bodkin, it takes some practice. They sell thread splitting tools. I just, I don't use them. I, I just know how to do it with a bodkin. Mm-hmm. But take your bodkin. You want it with a very sharp point to it. That helps a lot. So uh, Stonfo has a really fancy bodkin I like. I haven't anyone. My buddy who makes blind eye salmon fly hooks, he made me a bodkin that's really sharp that I like. Hmm. But just take your sharp uh, pointed bodkin, rub it on the back of your thread after you flattened it, and then just take it and eyeball the middle and push your bodkin through the middle. It will split your thread into two pieces, which will then make them half as strong as if they were together. So just keep that in mind. Yeah. And then... That can allow you to put some dubbing in there, or it can allow you to put some CDC. Oh, excuse me. Or it'll allow you to put anything you want in that thread. And then you'll, instead of counter spinning your bobbin, you will clockwise mm-hmm. uh, spin your bobbin. It will cord up your thread, and then you can wrap that onto your fly. And then if you put too much on there, all you do is uncord your thread, and then pull the material out and then you're back to tying. And so hmm. I really, really like that method when I'm tying anything like a Euro nymph or I'm going to put CDC in the collar sure. or if I'm going to do like a dubbing um, or like a, like a corn fed caddis that uses a ton of CDC. I don't use a dubbing loop at all. I, I never break out my dubbing loop twister hardly at all anymore because I find that it reduces bulk significantly mm. by not having my thread doubled over and tying that in. And so I feel like I get a much cleaner, easier fly than if I tied it with um, with a dubbing loop. I love it. That's such a good tip, too. I just <laughs> reached over to grab my bodkin when you are talking about that, and I just realized that it has that... I don't know if I saw Alf Dave or Alf Davy, um, David... David McPhail do this, but um, on the end of it, this particular bodkin is hollow and it's tapered. And I watched him kind of push the hackle back on a dry fly. And I didn't realize for, I don't know how many years I had this thing that it actually was designed to do that. Yeah, no, they, they have bobbins that are like that. Um, the right bobbin has O-rings on it that you can slide off your bobbin onto the fly to theoretically hold hackles back or Mm. the head or materials back. I've got Um, those. I've never tried them. Yeah. So some people like it for that. Some people, if I remember Tim Flagler of Tightline Productions, he had a thing that he cut and he slid onto the the neck of his bobbin to be able to do that. Hmm. Um, I'd have to look at his old videos to figure out what that is, but um, you can buy things like that to put on there. It's funny, the guy, I, the fly shop owner of my local fly shop, so Mitch Smith of Two Rivers Fly Shop, 
for a while, he had a bobbin that was being commercially made that he uh, developed, invented, um, and it had a hook on the tube. And so what you did is you built your dubbing loop and then you hooked that dubbing loop on there. So then your dubbing loop was three strands instead of two. Hmm. You twisted your bobbin and then you were already hooked into your dubbing loop and then you wrapped it up and then you unhooked it from your bobbin and tied it off and that was it. So it's kind of like an, uh, a two-in-one tool that actually did pretty well for a while until I think the people who were making it went out of business or something and then he just didn't pursue it any further. But if you can find it, I think it's called a Mitch's bobbin. Hmm. It's kind of a cool little thing, but it's it's a... Uh, it's very unique. It's one of a kind. That's what I thought you were going to talk about. Like you had one of those bobbins because they're old. I mean, early two thousands, late nineties era. No, this. So this is not on the uh, bobbin. It's on the the bodkin, like like the. Uh, oh. Yeah. So it's on the not obviously the pointy end. So because you, you were talking about splitting your thread, so I picked it up and I looked on the end of it and I went, "Oh yeah, that's what that's for." And I I did start using it. But it's almost like a uh, like a pen, without you know the 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 guts, if you will. It's just it's for pushing. Oh yeah, it, it's like a half inch tool. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. yeah. Which is really nice because some people like the half hitch versus whip finish, and so that's a nice way to do it. Mm-hmm. And then I think the last thing I'll say on thread as of now, I'm sh- there's t- there's more to talk about always. So if anyone sees me at any of the shows that I'm at come up and hassle me about thread. I'm happy to talk. I had someone uh, already get into my Instagram comments and shoot me a message about uh, they have different opinions about wax, which is great. I want to hear them. I want to someone sell me on wax. I'd love that. Um, <laughs> but uh, one of the things, uh, gosh, I, with thread. Uh, yeah. When you finish a fly, uh, it doesn't matter if you use corded thread. It doesn't matter if you use flat thread. But whatever thread you use before you whip finish, counterspin your bobbin. I'm I will sing that to the ends of the earth. That is, I saw it at a fly tying show one time, and I was asked the guy like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "Oh, well, even if you don't, you don't need to have a flat thread through the tying process. You're tying a waltz worm, you know, or a hare's ear. It's just dubbing on a hook kind of thing. Even when you get to the end to tie off your fly, counterspin your bobbin." Because I don't know if anyone's had this, where you do your whip finish, you've done your three to five revolutions around the fly, you pop the bottom part of your whip finish tool, and you're just holding the thread to a hook, and your thread almost wants to twist on itself as you pull it, as you seat the knot, and then you pop your hook out, and when you pop that hook out and pull on the thread, it almost knots on itself, and sometimes it'll break, and then it just doesn't look great. That's because your thread is so corded up by then. It doesn't want to lay flat correctly. So before you finish your fly, no matter how you tie, the big thing I would always do, take your bobbin, spin it counterclockwise or anti-clockwise, depends on how you want to say it, but spin it clockwise, anti-clockwise, just for one Mississippi, two Mississippi kind of thing, a one banana, two banana kind of amount of time, and then do your whip finish, and you will get a much more, uh, you might get a much cleaner whip finish every single time if you do that. I if I don't do anything special to my time process, that is, I always do that now. So many good tips on this one, man. And I, I'm going to listen to this back because I know 
my memory's good, but it's super short. And while I'm tying, I want to listen to some of the stuff you're talking about because you give me some good ideas, some good tips. And uh, keep up the good work. And, and thanks so much for dialing us in on thread. I, I think there's, there's so much to talk about when it comes to tying. A lot of it is visual, but I find that uh, sometimes it's nice to have it on in the background and you can kind of listen along as you're tying, if that makes sense. But... Garrett, thanks for doing this, man. I really appreciate all your uh, expertise you've uh, you've loaned us today. Yeah, I love talking about this as you as you and I'm sure the listeners can tell. And I'm happy to talk to anybody about this. Either hit me up on social media, I'm just Garrett Lesko at Facebook or Gmail, um, or yeah, Gmail or Instagram, just Garrett Lesko Gmail or Garrett Lesko at um, Instagram or Garrett Lesko on Facebook. And I'm happy to talk about it because I, I love talking about this. Mm. I love geeking out about materials. I mean, <laughs> threads, just one tool slash material out there, but we could talk. I could probably chat with someone all day about wire or tinsel or scissors or vices or whatever, because I just, I, I love it. And I love talking to other people. And if something mystifies you and something's like, mm. I, I'm not really sure. I don't know what I'm going to do about this. Or you get a grab bag because your buddy says, I don't want to tie flies anymore. Here's all my stuff. And you don't even know what to do with it. <laughs> I'm happy to help you navigate that if that's something that's confusing. I mean, sometimes you can find a video about it, but it's nice when you can, you can't ask YouTube questions in real time. So I, I loved your quote today. Somebody sell me on wax. <laughs> <laughs> you seem really open to, I mean, I'd love to hear it. Yeah. I love it. I think that's probably if someone can sell me on it and convince me that it's good. I, I will use it, but How about David McPhail, I might... found that David McPhail could probably talk you into it. I bet, I bet he could. And you know what? I'll have a conversation with him any day of the week. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope to see you on the show circuit. I know I'll probably uh, see you at the Linwood show um, over the winter. Uh, what other show did you have coming, um, coming up next for you? So it's, you say Linwood. It's in the same area, but it's Bellevue. But oh, yes. Oh, shoot. Bellevue it, is it, at... It used to be Linwood. No, it's Bellevue. Okay. It did. It did. So My don't bad. feel too bad about it. It used to be Linwood. My bad. But I'll be at the Bellevue show. Um, let me get you dates real quick. But I'll be at the Bellevue show in February. Mm-hmm. I want to say February uh, 17th and 18th. That's when I'll be there. So I'll be there uh, 17th and 18th, tying at the fly fishing show in Bellevue, Washington. And then I will be tying at the Northwest Expo in Albany on the 8th and the 9th of March. Perfect. So one in February um, in the Seattle area and then one in uh, Albany, Oregon, which is about an hour, hour and a half south of Portland, um, about 45 minutes north of Eugene. So it's kind of in that area. It's right there on the I-5 corridor. So. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes it easy for people kind of coming from any direction to show up. Um, if you really want to know fly tying, I recommend the March show for sure. That is a big fly tying show. So, uh, good. there's tons of, they just, re- the website just went live, uh, a few days ago. They got club, they have classes, they have workshops, they got casting stuff at that show. I'm a big proponent of that show because I, I do a lot of work at that show and it's my, it's local for me. It's mm-hmm. 20 minutes down the road for me. So um, come chat, say hi to me. I'll be walking around. I'll have a name tag on. Uh, say you heard me on the podcast. I'd be happy to talk, talk shop with you because th- that's a place. And then 
not just me, but there'll be over 200 other fly tires that are happy to talk with you about their wow. thoughts and feelings about thread and wax, I'm sure. <laughs> it's a lot of expertise in one room. Hope uh, hope to see oh, you yeah. at some of these upcoming shows. He's Garrett Lesko out of OregonFlyTying.com, tying custom flies. Thanks for joining us this time around. We'll catch you next time. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com. Thank you for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water. Mm-hmm.